the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Even at my best, I am unworthy. I have nothing precious I can give. A broken life is all I have to offer. And yet, it is a priceless gift to Him. The bitter mark of sin will never fade away. But I can come before Him unashamed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When He looks at me, He sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand By the blood of the Lamb, I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty, I stand redeemed. Well, praise the Lord, we stand redeemed, amen, in front of the God of all the universe. That's an amazing truth. Uh, that's, that's really an amazing truth. Well, anyway, uh, just a little preview. Um, I'm going to share at, at the conference uh, where... Uh, you know, these Bibles come from, the different uh, versions. I'm going to share where the King James Bible comes from. We're going to literally kind of try to look at the uh, pedigree, if you will, of the, the Word of God down through the years. And so I'm going to be sharing that portion of it just in one session. And then also I'm going to be taking some time in one of the evenings as well to address some of the textual issues, like, for instance, how they affected the text, how you, in one version it says this, and another it says this, and why that's an issue, and why that can be a problem, and, and, and how often it is a problem. And so we're going to look at that a little bit and consider some of those issues and, and how, you know, it was, it's, it, yes, some translation, but also some textual issues. And so we'll consider some of those uh, along the way. And I think we're going to learn a lot as we uh, dig into the King James Bible as well as look into the Word of God as a whole and uh, look at, uh, well, we'll even look at some of the versions a little bit and look at those as well. So anyway, uh, looking forward to it. Now let's go ahead and take our Bibles, look over the book of 1 John again, chapter 3, as we're in our Back to God series, and we're talking about Back to Loving, and we started that last week, and 
I, I kind of addressed the issue there uh, in general, and we started talking about, well, you know, what love is not. And, and we said that love is not natural. We said it's not natural. We also went on to say that love is not perpetual. And we said that love is not conditional. And so we addressed some of those things. And, uh, and boy, I tell you what, we learned some things that are very important about love. And so today we're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to talk about who we're to love. And maybe get to a couple of other things as well. So let's go ahead and take a look at our passage here very quickly. Again, over in the book of 1 John, uh, we're there in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 10 and we're going to read through verse 24 to the end of the chapter. It says, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For there is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know not, no, you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Well, that's some powerful, powerful preaching there. I mean, to tell you, you talk about a passage that'll bring you under conviction and maybe even cause you to question your own salvation. That's a passage right there. I don't know about you, but when I read through the book of 1 John, there's probably no book in the Bible that causes me to go, wow, kind of like I just got hit upside the head, you know? I mean, like the Lord saying, wake up, brother, you better get it together. I tell you, 1 John's an amazing book, but it'll get you thinking if you really dig in and you really consider what's being said. And in this passage, it's, it's one of those passages that really shakes you up when you're dealing with people. Because let's face it, life is relationships. And in this particular case, we see that we're to love. And as we're going to see here in a little bit, one of the people or one of the things we're to love is each other. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. And so we kicked off the series with loving and describing it, and talking about it, and trying to understand it a little bit. And boy, I'll tell you what, as we looked at that, we learned that valuable lesson that love, boy, I'll tell you what, it's, it's not natural. And we need God's supernatural love in our lives. We need to really experience the love of God, and that love of God needs to flow through us. And 
We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And the first one on the list is love. And boy, if we want to, to love the way Christ loved, if we, want God to be, if we want to be capable of loving as God intends us to love, then we need to be filled with the Spirit. We can't be walking in the flesh. And so many times we're walking in the flesh and we wonder why we find it so difficult to love people. And boy, I'll tell you what, loving is not nearly as hard when it's not our love, it's his love. And God loves us all, and God is love. That's what the Bible says. So if we have God in us, then love obviously shouldn't be so difficult. So love is not natural. And it's something that we have to be honest about and we have to be realistic about. It's a word we throw around quite often, but it's not something we demonstrate as often as we say. So we said love is not perpetual. We mentioned that as well. It doesn't just grow on its own. You have to work at it. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us to, that we are to grow in love one toward another. And then we said love's not conditional. Well, I'll tell you what, so many times, you know, we find ourselves loving whenever the conditions are right. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not the way, I mean, unfortunately, that's not the way God would have us love. Fortunately for us, he loves us the way we're to love others. He loves us unconditionally, and he wants us to do the same for others. So as we moved along, we, we noted some of those things. We discussed it. We talked about it. And we said God's, you know, love is God's specialty. So as the children of God, indwelt by God, love ought to be something that we become very good at. And it ought to be something that we can demonstrate quite easily as well. So who are we to love then? That's a good question. And so today I want to kick that, this series off again. And, and now that we've entered, you know, kind of completed the introduction, let's talk and ask a couple of the questions that need to be asked. First of all, who are we to love? So let's pray. Father, we come to you. Help us, Lord, we pray, and guide us and lead us and give us wisdom tonight. Thank you for these that have gathered. Lord, we're excited about what you're going to teach us tonight, what you're going to do in our lives as a result of the Word of God. Father, help us, Lord, to be open to your leadership Lord, may we not close our hearts and our minds, Lord, and say, well, I've heard this before. Lord, the truth is we've heard a lot of things. That doesn't mean we're obeying them. Help us, Lord, to be open-minded to you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's not going to be what the preacher says that will make the difference. It's going to be what your Holy Spirit speaks to us about, how your word drives home truth. And, Lord, we want you to do a miracle in our lives. We want you to help us to be more Christ-like, more like you. Bless us and help us. We desperately need you tonight. We're praying for your supernatural touch And Lord, I'm begging you, Father, in the Spirit of God to do a work tonight, not only in the lives of others, but in my own. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So who are we to love then? And again, I'm sure if we had a raise of hands and we started asking, well, who are we to love? We'd get a number of these. The the ones that I'm going to share, I'm sure, would come up sooner or later. But first of all, let's be honest. We probably would all come up with the first one right off the bat because it's that first and great commandment, isn't it? We're to love the Lord thy God. And we're to love the Lord then. We're to love God, our Father. In Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Well, I guess that if he says it's the first one, then that's the one we ought to place as a priority, right? I mean, before we say, I'm going to serve the Lord, we ought to say, I'm going to love the Lord. Before we say, we're going we're to praise the Lord, we ought to love the Lord. And someone says, well, you can't really serve him and you can't praise him unless you love him. That's not true. That's not true. 
People can use the name of Christ. And he said many a times, he says, listen, he says, uh, uh, you, you know, your words are here, but your hearts are far from me. I mean, you're saying all the right things, maybe even doing the right things, but your heart's not where it belongs. The Lord identified that. He pinpointed that in the lives of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and some of the religious leaders of his day. The fact is, is that we're to love him with all our heart. Spurgeon, he tells of Mr. Welsh, uh, a, a minister who was noticed, he, he, he was noticed to sit and weep, just sit and weep at times. And uh, somebody said to him, my dear Mr. Welch, why are you weeping? Well, he replied, I can't tell you. But when they pressed him really hard, I mean, when they really kept at him, he finally said this. He said, I am weeping because I cannot love Christ more. He said, that's weird. Wouldn't it be something if we, we wanted to love God so much that it broke our hearts because we didn't feel we loved him as much as we ought to. Man, I mean to tell you, he had it figured out. We're to love God. We're to love the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to love the one who gave us life. We're to love the one that created us. We're to love God. Not only are we to love the Lord, but we're to love the lost. We're to love the lost. We have an example in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Turn there if you would, please. Very, very simple one. You, you'll probably recognize it right off the bat. Luke 19.10. We have this wonderful example. The Lord Jesus Christ leaving it for us. Clearly expressing it to us. Demonstrating it on a regular basis as he walked this earth. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine leaving heaven. I can't imagine, uh, you know, uh, taking a trip to earth, ultimately to hang on a cross, to seek and to save that which was lost, unless there was some real love there. And boy, I tell you what, he loves people. And you know, people are lost by nature. You and I were. If you're saved today, you were lost. Now you're not, praise the Lord. But we have his example. Listen, his example of love, we know that, that he came to earth, that he sacrificed himself, that he gave of himself. That is love. We see the enthusiasm over in the book of Romans as we consider the Apostle Paul. Look over there in Romans 10.1. Look at two verses while we're there. Romans 10.1 and we're going to look at Romans 9.3. He says in Romans chapter 10 verse 1, The Apostle Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, his heart's desire. He had a a passion for his people. But it went a little bit further. Look in chapter 9, verse 3. He says even, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's an, that, that is a mind-boggling statement. In a sense, I guess to simplify that, to simply to, to state that, that I would be willing to take on your judgment, I would be willing to be accursed so that you could be blessed of God, so that you could be in heaven, I'd be willing to go to hell. I mean, tell me that isn't love. 
And again, we're to love the lost. And here we have an example. We, have the, we note the enthusiasm. But I want you to note the effort that was put into reaching the lost when there was love there attached to it. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.9. Again, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Notice what he says here in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Now, I don't know. I, I, there's a couple of you ladies that have recently had some children. And you labored and travailed. Was that, let me ask you, before you got the epidural, if you ever got it, was it pleasant? It wasn't pleasant at all. It was very painful. Very painful. It was very difficult on me as well. Watching my wife go through that. You laugh. You hurt me when you laugh at me like that. But I mean, this travail, I mean, this pain, this agony, this suffering. He says, brethren, he says, you remember our labor and our travail. Well, I'll tell you, that picture is pretty vivid in my mind. He goes on for laboring night and day. Because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Man, I mean, to tell you, Paul the Apostle said, when we came to you, we put forth the energy and the effort. There was no holding back. We were, I mean, we were sacrificing in that sense. We were working long hours. We were burning the midnight oil. We were burning the candle at both ends. We just wouldn't quit. We wouldn't give up. We wouldn't stop because we wanted to reach you with the gospel. Why? Because they loved them so much. Well, we are to love the lost. And in the Word of God, we have an example of that. We see the enthusiasm. We note the effort that's put forth there. It's all a result of loving. So who are we to love? We're to love the Lord. We're to love the lost. But not only that, we are to love our loved ones. Our loved ones. Look, if you would, in Titus chapter 2, verse 4. We touched on this slightly, but let me just uh, kind of bring it back up just a little bit here, but... You know, you know, husbands are to love wives, and wives are to love husbands, and parents are to love children, and children are to love parents, and, uh, you know, you are supposed to love your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents and so forth. I mean, loved ones ought to be loved. But I want you to notice something, how important this is in the Word of God, and it begins even in the home. Notice that even in the passage in Titus chapter 2, as we said, what did we say about love? It's not what? First one starts with an N. It's not what? Natural. Love is not natural. Love is not natural. This passage proves that. Look what it says. Again, it says in Titus 2.4, it says that they may teach, it's talking about the older women, that they may teach the young women, the older women, the older women, the older women, the older women. You say, how old's older? Older than the younger. You say, well, I'm not old. You're older than someone. The older women here, that they may teach the young women to be sober. And we talked that word the other day. It's, 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 it's to be serious-minded, to love their husbands, to love their children. The older women, those that have already been through that, that 
time in their life, those who have gone through some of that, who have made their way and, and have navigated through that portion of their life, and, and they may not necessarily be like grandma, you know, so-and-so, or, you know, kind of like on their, you know, 100 years old, but they're older. They've been through a certain stage. They've been through, say, infant children. They've been through maybe that little particular area that you're going through. They could be considered older at that point. They can help you. Hey, by the way, older ladies, you're supposed to help these younger ones. And sometimes younger ladies don't always have it figured out, just like young men don't have it figured out. Young people need guidance and leadership. They need help, and God recognizes that. And you know what a woman needs help with? A young woman needs help with? She needs help with loving. She's to be taught, teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. God says, I want to put a premium on something, and it's called love. And I want you loving your loved ones. So, ma'am, you're to love your husband. Ma'am, you're to love your children. And may I say, husbands aren't always lovable. And children aren't always lovable. You know, it's an amazing thing when we get that little baby and we, we gaze into its eyes and we say, it's so adorable. Unless it's two in the morning and you haven't slept for two days. Someone needs to teach you how to love that thing. In a very practical way. Hey, listen, every parent gets frustrated to tears maybe at times. Every parent has to shut the door and let the baby cry sometime. And if you haven't learned that trick, talk to me. I'll help you, young men. And young ladies especially. I can't stand to hear my baby cry. You better get used to it because they do enough of it. Why do you think your husband cries all the time? Because his mom never taught him not to. Okay. All right. So anyway, some of you are here, some of you aren't. But anyway, that they may teach the young women. Notice this over here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're to love our loved ones. And I know that sounds crazy, but can I tell you how many, I cannot tell you, I should say, how many times I have heard a wife say, I don't feel loved. Or I've heard a husband say, I don't think she loves me. What? How can that be when we're Christians? We're commanded to love. And we're to love our loved ones. Notice Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, what's it say? Love your wives. I'm sorry, but ladies, you aren't always lovable. Just like men aren't always lovable, children aren't always lovable, guess what? Mm, wives aren't always lovable. But yet a husband's commanded to love. Remember that love that we talked about was not natural. Why is it that we have to be told to love if it's so natural? Why do we have to be taught to do it and commanded to do it? Not only that, but it's not perpetual. How's come a wife has to be told to love and taught to love? How's come a husband has to be commanded to love? I'll tell you why, because it's not natural and it's not perpetual. And let me tell you something. Boy, I'll tell you what. Most of the time, it's, it's not supposed to be conditional, but many times we put conditions on it. <clears throat> now, we can go through and we can look at children. I mean, children are to honor and obey their parents. Things like that, we get that. I think it's interesting, and again, I'm just going to throw this out. You do what you want with it. I've been trying to figure this out. I still haven't figured it out, okay? So the preacher's coming to you, and he's being honest with you, transparent. I haven't figured it out. I'm going to throw it out there, though. Here it is. 
I'm kind of wondering why in, in Titus, when the Bible says that the young women are to teach the, the younger women, uh, the, the, the wives, I should, the young women, I should say, uh, teach them to love their husbands and to love their children. We said it wasn't natural. But here's the thing. It's interesting. Do you know that a husband is simply commanded to love his wife? He doesn't need taught to do it. Do you understand, isn't it kind of strange to you that a mother, the one who's supposed to have all this innate love for their children, has to be taught to love their children, but a dad is never told, from what I can tell in Scripture, to love his children even? Not even even commanded to love his children, let alone be taught how to do it. You ever wonder about that? I, I started wondering about that. I got thinking, how's come it is that a husband is only commanded to love his wife, not commanded to love his children? How's come a husband's only commanded to love his wife, and he's not even to be taught to love his children? But a woman is. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I don't know. I just started thinking about it over the last couple of weeks. And you know what I found in the Bible? I can't find any direct statement that would tell you that a husband is to, to love his children in the sense of thou shalt love thy children, or in the sense of, you know, somebody teach husbands how to love children. You say, well, okay, now that you shared that you don't know something, do you got any idea why? Well, the only thing I can think is this. Here, let me just throw it out there. It could be wrong. I got thinking about it. Could it be because they're commanded Watch this now, and and before you throw me under the bus on this one, could it be because they're commanded to provide and care for them? See, a husband is is told that that he has to care. Look, Look, if you would, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Genesis 3, 17. We're going to go back to the fall. We're going to see what the responsibility of Adam was. We know what we find in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. So what does love do? Love does what? It gives. Love, love gives. It's action. It's action. True love is action, not words. True love is not, I love you. True love is, here's what I'm doing. So I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm kind of spiffballing, if you will. I'm trying to figure it out a little bit. But is it possible that they're commanded to provide and care for them, and that, in essence, being what love is, means that they're loving? Oh, boy. Now watch this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I mean, look at the passage. What is the man's responsibility right off the bat? What, what, what does it appear that he's going to have to do the rest of his life? He's going to have to what? Work. He's going to have to ultimately, as we find in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 5.8, he's going to have to provide. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, if any provide not for his own, if any provide not for his own, it's not talking about women, it's talking about men, if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. Sounds like loved ones to me. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 
Wow, that's powerful. I'm wondering if the man doesn't have to be commanded uh, to love his children. I'm wondering if he doesn't have to be uh, told or taught how to love his children because his, his very purpose for existing is to love. He has to. He's loving when he provides. And you know what? When a man doesn't provide for his family, you know why it's so wretched? You know why God puts such a high premium on it, I believe? Because at that point, he is not demonstrating, nor is he loving. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But I think there's something to it, maybe. You know, we've got the wrong idea of what love is today. We've got to be careful we don't interpret love based on the culture we live in, but instead on the word of God that we're given. And may I say that love is an action word. It is a verb, if you will. It's something that is happening all the time. Hey, I'm all for I love you. But I'm going to tell you something. I love you without putting action behind it. That's weak sauce, as they say. And there's been plenty of wives in the past that get tired of hearing their husbands say, Two words. Wait. Five words. First two. I'm sorry. And the next three. I love you. But yet they won't get off the couch and get over to work and provide for the family. They get tired of hearing those words. I'm sorry. I love you. And they go, You're a bum! And they go, I can't believe that she disrespects me like this. I'm just saying that God intended for you to provide for your family. And in so doing, you should not need to be commanded to love your kids. Because by providing, you are showing love and demonstrating love and loving. And by providing for your wife, you're doing the same. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Now again, I'm not saying that that's 100% the case. If you find a verse that tells me that men are commanded to love, I, would, I want to see it. I have not found it yet. I've got a couple people looking for me. So far, no one's gotten back to me. They probably set me up tonight. They're probably back there waiting. Now they're going to email everybody that, those verses and have you guys just flood my email with it or something. Also now, what, who else are we to love? Okay, we, we've talked about this already. We, we've said we're to love the Lord. We're to love the lost. We're to love our loved ones. But you know what else we're to love? And we see this in 1 John, big time. We're to love the local church. And when I say local church, I'm talking about the church as a body. And we're talking about the brethren. We're talking about sisters and brothers in Christ. And we're to love one another. Let's look over in the book of 1 John and just take a walk through a couple of verses there. In chapter 3, we've looked at some of them already. But let's start at verse 11. And let's just walk through about four verses in 1 John, and then I'm going to share a couple of others with you, because I do want you to understand how important this aspect of loving is. we got to get back to loving. I'm going to tell you why. Because the world is watching us, and they're looking at us and observing us, and they're saying, well, listen, you know what? You're no different than the rest of us. You're mean, you're nasty, you're cantankerous, you're upset all the time with one another, you can't get along with one another, you're arguing, you're fighting, you're complaining, you're murmuring. And they look at us and there's no difference. You know, you know the major difference? I'll tell you what, you want to find a, a marriage that people want to, 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 to live up to or that want to um, 
uh, that, that, that is an example to others. It's a marriage where two people actually get along loving one another and caring for one another. And they can hear it in the way they talk to one another. They can see it in the way they act toward one another and how they touch one another and how they, they interact with one another. And people go, man, I wish I had that. You want to know something? The Christian life's the same thing. Man, people ought to come to a church picnic. People ought to come to the house of God. People ought to be able to walk into that nursery and feel the love that we have for one another. Notice what it says. And again, this isn't just a pastor talking because it makes his life easier. This is the word of God. Jesus Christ and, the, and, the, and the God the Father. Notice what he says here in 1 John three eleven. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Hmm. When's the last time you heard a message on loving one another? I, I can't remember when the last time I preached on that. And, and I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, just that topic. And yet he says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. The impression is, is that this is one of the first ones you're going to hear. This one right here is going to be, lay a foundation. This one's very important. In 1 John 3, 14, just a few verses down, it says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He said one of the evidences that you have gone from being eternally damned to eternally rescued and saved is that you love one another. You love the brethren. Remember I told you how difficult 1 John can be at times? It starts to get you to question your salvation at times. You want to know why? Because it sets a pretty high standard. And the reality is it's not a standard we can obtain to. It's a standard most often we don't want to. Notice he goes on. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Notice verse 23. We read it already earlier. It says, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Boy, I'll tell you what, I mean, right there with, with, with believing on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, he follows it up with, and love one another. It's amazing how he attaches God's love for us and our faith in him to the fact that we now are to love one another as Christ loved us. 1 John 4.20 If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? Wow. You tell me that's not a real rub. Now listen, that's the word of God being spoken here. This is God's word. We play this game in our head that we're justified in our attitude toward people. But you just don't understand. People people really, I'm not a people person. They just kind of grate me. They, they, they kind of make me feel, I don't like the way people look at me, or I don't like the way people act, and I don't appreciate people and their attitudes, and we get this attitude toward them, and we think we're justified in that today. When the Word of God is clear, and it says, listen, let me just lay it out for you. Let me spell it out real clear. If a man say, I love God, I love God, 
and hateth his brother. I love God. I can't stand that guy. I hate him. God says, you're a liar. You don't love me. You don't even know what love is, my friend. Isn't that amazing? I'm thinking about this. This is serious business. And churches break up all the time. And churches have splits. And there's confusion in the midst of ministries. And there's problems in the pews. And there's problems in the Pope. And there's problems all around the place. Why? Because people haven't gravitated and understood this concept. This commandment. This truth. I know there are parents probably in the room that your kids have done things that you couldn't stand and you were so angry at them, you could just, oh boy, you could. But you want to know something? You never hated them. I mean, they, they got you so mad you couldn't see straight. And you might have been tempted to say, fine, go out there. And, and you, I mean, you're tempted to say some pretty crazy stuff. But when it's all said and done, your heart breaks for them. You're burdened for them. You still love them. You may not be able to meet their needs. You may not be able to somehow, you know, give them what they think they need because they'll use it for the wrong purposes or whatever it may be. But the fact is, is that you still love them. Ephesians, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to this. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor. Watch this. Preferring one another. So be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Here's what it's saying. It's saying, Brother Bob, there's only one seat left. You take it. You take it, Brother Bob. No, you're the preacher. That's all right, Brother Bob. You take it. You know what I've just done? I preferred him above myself. Now listen, where's that attitude? Now listen, we'll do that because Brother Bob and me, we're buddies, we're friends, so I might be tempted to do that for Bob because I like Bob. He's a good man. However, here's the problem. What if it's not the guy in the church I care for particularly? He can find his own seat. Good luck, Buster. Serves him right. (laughs) Jerk. Hey, don't think we don't think those things. Uh, Well, we've never said those words under our breath. Prefer what? In honor, preferring one another? Let's think about that next time. I'm just saying biblically, we're talking about love here. Who are we to love? We're to love the brethren, this Bible says. In Ephesians 4, 2, it goes on to say, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. He doesn't just tell us to love now. Now he says, guess what? With all lowliness and meekness. He's saying, you're going to have to humble yourself sometimes. You're going to have to bow below and get down low. You're going to have to surrender yourself, submit yourself, even to those who you feel you are superior to. That's a bad attitude already. 
But the fact is, with all lowliness and meekness, he goes, with long-suffering, putting up with them. Putting up with it. Forbearing one another. Being long-suffering. Dealing with it. And not with a bad attitude, but a good one. One another in love. I'm doing this for love. That brother just doesn't, he, he really doesn't sit well with me. There's something not right here, but I'm going to love him anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prefer him anyway. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to die to self anyway. I'm just going to let him have the preeminence. I'm going to surrender myself to him. I'll do what's necessary to keep the peace myself. Psalm 133, verse 1. Here's God's attitude. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's the key. We get up here on Saturday mornings and, man, I mean to tell you, we're all together and it's amazing. We all have a desire to see people come to Christ. We all have a longing to serve the Lord Jesus. We all have a desire to lift up and elevate the Lord. And, man, I tell you what, we all get together up there and we're all of one mind and all going in the same direction. And, boy, that unity is sweet. And I believe as a church, we gather together on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday night. And I I mean, to my knowledge, and unless I'm ignorant of some fact or truth, I don't know. But the fact is, it seems to me we gather together and we have a desire and a longing to praise and to elevate and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And the choir gets up there and booms out a song and we say, Amen, glory to God. And then the specials come up and they get up there and they just sing their little hearts out. And we think to ourselves, praise God. And that's a blessing. And what a message. And... The preacher gets up and preaches and we say, wow, what a great preacher. (laughs) Let me say that one again. Wow, what a, oh. But I think we're all on the same sheet of music. Boy, how sweet it is. The Bible says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But boy, let there be some friction. And it don't take much, does it? Don't take much of this. To upset our spirit. Just a little bit of this. And boy, it can wreck and ruin our lives. It can wreck and ruin our relationships. It can hurt the whole spirit of the church. Boy, God says, I put a premium on these things. This love thing's important to me. We need to get back to loving like God intended. If we're going to get back to God, we got to get back to loving because if we say we love, but then love God, but we don't love the brother, and he says what? You're lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself. You're telling me you don't have any sin in yourself. Well, that's what? You're deceiving yourself. According to 1 John 1. Boy, I'll tell you what. This is a tall order. And let's be honest with this. None of us are perfect in this area. All of us probably need to work in this area to some degree or another. May God help us to love. We're to love the Lord. Sometimes that's the easiest one, isn't it? He's the easiest, probably. Or so it seems. We're to love the lost. We're to love our loved ones. And we're to love the local church or the brethren and the sisters. And God help us to get back to loving as God intended. And if we are, praise God, keep it up. But boy, as a church, and not just our church, but I'm talking about across the board, across the country, around the world, I think we've got to get back to loving. And that's just one aspect of getting back to God. Father, we come to you.